0: <laughs> Matthew, Matthew chapter two, uh, starting verse one. Now after let's yeah, I got it on the screen yet. All right, Matthew chapter two, starting verse one. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, "Where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we have seen His star in the east and have come to worship him." Then when Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. When you have found him, bring back word to me that that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before him till it came and stood over where the young child was." When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. You wonder why we get on our knees? It's a natural response to the presence of God. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray again. Father, we just ask for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this place. Speak to each heart, open each eye, uh, soften every heart, Lord. Remove me once again from the equation that myself and all of my brothers and sisters and those watching online and those that don't know you as Lord and Savior would hear from you, Jesus. Lord, we need like never before to hear from you And Lord, this happened so long ago, but Lord, the outworking of it is taking place in our lives even today. This that began uh, with the miracle of God's grace, Emmanuel coming to this earth. Lord, we pray that we would leave this place more in awe of you and worshipers as you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing and The promise of nearly 4,000 years has arrived. What we're reading here. 4,000 years, it's finally arrived. The birth of the Messiah, spoken by the prophets, written in the scriptures, the very presence of God, we all know the word we just sang about it, Emmanuel, has come in the fragile skin and flesh of of mankind. You, you know how fragile our skin is. Uh, just take take COVID aside for just a second. Uh, remember when there was normal sicknesses, you know, the, um, the your average run-of-the-mill sicknesses that uh, would like lay you out and you would be like, I'm never eating again. <laughs> or I'll never eat that again because it was the last thing I had before everything went wrong, right? You know, and so you you really feel horrible and you feel like there's no way you're going to even make it another day if your fever was high and you just no had, had no energy left. This was again long before the coronavirus and things like that. And so, uh, but uh, there was a pastor from I can't remember which one it was. One from England in the 17, 1800s or so, and he uh, he said, I'm paraphrasing, but he said it's not so much a surprise that we die. It's a surprise that we make it this far, you know, because. <laughs> Once you get older, you're like there's some days you feel like your knees won't work again, and all of a sudden they work great three days later, and you're like, how is that? How is that? They kind of go you this roller coaster ride, but Jesus stepped into our. Would you willingly step into our skin? But he did. He took on this fragile skin. Now of course Jesus didn't have the sin corruption that we have, which was an incredible benefit to him uh, that we don't have, but. Nevertheless he stepped into the fragility of our skin. He really could have nails driven into his skin. He really could have um, the pain of the scourging that would come later in life. But none of that was uh, readily apparent to everybody when he when his birth. Just, we talked about this with the opening of, of the book of John. Not everybody understood all of those reasons for which Jesus came. But if you were made aware that God had sent his king, how do you respond to that? The, the wise men were made aware of this. How do you respond to that? How, how should you respond to that? You know the story here. You have this group of magi. They were astronomers, sages, scholars, uh, very learned men from about 700 miles to the east in ancient Persia. Some of you that are older, I remember as a kid when Iran was still called Persia. You guys remember that? when it was, that, was, that was the name up through the shahs. And, uh, but uh, ancient Persia... Ancient Babylon was all in that area because the Persian Empire re- replaced the Babylonian Empire. Uh, but when they heard this news, when it was revealed to them by God, it meant everything to them. They stopped everything. And instead, they went and followed the star with one, everything else they were doing, they stopped to follow the star with one intent to do what? To go and worship to go and worship. What, will, or what are we willing to do to go worship? What are we willing to give up? We're willing to stop to go and worship. So let me ask you, has the birth of Christ in you they were going to seek the birth of Christ literally physically where it literally was at on planet Earth but if you've been born again what has the birth of Christ in you the Bethlehem of your heart if you will, what is the work of grace and salvation produced as far as a life of worship? Has it produced in you, in me, a life of worship? Uh, Is it causing you to seek with all your heart Jesus and to worship him? If not, why not? If that's not happening, Lord, why, why am I so stale and so dry and so unwilling to walk seven feet, much less 700 miles, to worship? You're taking notes. You see the title this morning: Christ has come, and the wise response of worship will take a about a two-week hiatus from our uh, study in the Book of John. We'll jump back into it in the new year. Um, uh, we start back into John. Jesus clearing out the temple. That's a great way to start the new year. Yeah. He's got some things he wants us to clear out of our temples. Uh, if you, you know, kind of get ahead of the um, where we're going. But, uh, but again, this morning we want to look at this. Uh, just this great, great news that comes to the world and is still changing us today. And turn your attention back to verses uh, 1 and 2, Matthew chapter um, 2 there. Uh, verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the, in the days of Herod the king, uh, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. It's The intent is right there in the passage. The context, if you're taking notes, the first thing we look at is what I've titled Seek and Find. You don't stop seeking once you get saved. You're a seeker the rest of your life. Uh, You're seeking to know Jesus more. You're seeking to understand how to grow. You're seeking the work of God in your life. But the context and the phrasing of verse 1 and 2, as these magi come into Jerusalem and they've made this long trip As they enter Jerusalem, the the way the wording is is, tells us that they were basically asking anyone and everyone they met. So just like be you coming into town and saying, you know, where is? I'm sure your first question is, where is Calvary Chapel Richmond? That was your first question, like, where is it? You know, uh, but uh, they would just ask, where is the King of the Jews? We've caught you know, they've got this caravan and everyone would have seen this entourage you know, coming in and they would have you can tell it stirred the whole city because these guys are wise, Uh, they're dressed uh, as men that are learned but also have some amount of wealth and so they have wealth, they have knowledge there's some bit of prestige with them, but they just keep asking everybody in the marketplace, um, anyone doing their normal business where is the king of the Jews? And some people are like what are they talking about? What do you mean, King of the Jews? We have Herod. Have you met him? The a swell guy, you know. <laughs> He's really not. But, uh, but you know, they, they're just asking, "Where is the King of the Jews?" They were intensely seeking to find the rightful King of Kings. Their searching was wise. Wouldn't you agree? Their searching is wise. If you're trying to find Jesus, that is wise. It's equally wise for each and every person to open the Scriptures. You and I don't have to travel halfway around the world to seek. We have a Bible we can open. We can start to seek and to highlight and to search. Lord, show me. Remember the Bereans? They were always searching the Scriptures to know these things and to grow in these things. And so it's a wise thing for us to search the Scriptures. We don't need a 700-mile trip to search and seek the Messiah. In John 14, 6. but But these guys, they were coming to find the king, to find the king of the Jews. And in uh, John 14, 6, we have these immortal words of Jesus, which we'll get to many weeks down and by the time we get to the 14th chapter. But these immortal words of him testifying himself, you know it well. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's important that they were exclusively only seeking Jesus. They weren't seeking to say, hey, we're going to seek, G- seek Jesus and four other really cool kings. And four, you know, there's, there's five ways to heaven. You choose this way, I choose Hinduism, I choose Islam. I choose-. No, no, no. One, one way. One king. They weren't searching, hey, we also want to meet Herod. Well, they do meet Herod, but that wasn't the goal. It wasn't, it was, who's the king of the Jews? It would later be nailed above what? The cross. King of the Jews. Why? Because remember, even the chief priests they they flip out about that. They're like, eh, we we didn't want you to put King of the Jews. he said he was. No, and here uh, uh, Pilate says, I said what I said. Then he by that time he's ticked at them. But it was all because God was saying, no. He's fulfilling. From the beginning, he was called King of the Jews. When he died, he's King of the Jews, and now he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and still King of the Jews. But anyone seeking Christ, really truly, sincerely seeking Christ, to know who He is, and to believe in Him is always seeking truth. If you're really seeking to believe in Jesus, you're seeking truth. Now, if you're not seeking truth, you're just seeking some way out or your own thing. That's a different story. But why does does seeking Jesus mean that we're seeking truth? Well, because Jesus is the truth. It's one of His names. It's His essence. He is the truth. The way, the life, and the truth. So to seek Jesus is to seek the truth. And those that actually seek Christ, here's the really good news. Anyone that really seeks Christ is going to find Him. Isn't that great to know? Jesus, anyone that truly says, I want to know if you're true and you're real, will find Him. He's not going to hide from those that really seek Him. Jesus promises. We know this in Luke 11.10. Luke 11.10 tells us, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be open. Isn't that great to know? That God says that if you're, I know that this passage is even more to the praying, believing believer, but it's also to the non-believer. If you seek Christ, you will find him. You might not like what he tells you, like the rich young ruler, when you find him, but he'll be truthful. He'll say you need to repent. You need to turn from your sins. Jesus is not hiding from those that seek to find Him and to know Him and ultimately to worship Him. And we come into saving faith to become worshippers. We'll look at that at the very end. But it's interesting, these wise men, long long before Jesus would ever teach and preach, that's going to be about 30 years later so He's an infant here, uh, or, or somewhere between zero and two. But long before he would teach and preach, some 30, or 28 to 38, 28 to 30 years later, um, they find Jesus. But Herod never finds him. Isn't that interesting? They find Jesus. Herod, who also wants to find him for not the best reasons, right, never finds him. In fact, Herod would die before ever finding Jesus. Jesus will be taken down to Egypt by the, his parents. Same chapter you can read on if, you don't, if you've forgotten the rest of the story. Herod tries to kill Jesus, he escapes to Egypt, uh, the Holy Spirit makes sure an angel sends, and to, to all that takes place and Herod dies without ever finding Jesus. And we say that to about people, say, did they ever find Jesus before they died? Herod did not. But we'll come back to Herod uh, later, but uh, these, these magi from the east they serve us as, as a symbolic memorial in Scripture to the fact that those that truly want to find and worship Jesus will be brought into the presence of God. Why do I say brought? Because they did not create the star that was in the sky. Right, right. God did that. God did that. They had to respond to it, to that revelation. So let's take a look at our next point this morning, submit and follow. They had to respond to that star and that revelation. But when we have a revelation, they had this star in the heaven and they followed it, believing that they would find the one that they were looking for. We really only have two responses when it comes to the revelation or the truth, not just revelation but the the true revelation, the, the truth that comes from God which is primarily In the written word of God, the reason why we have our Bibles open is because if we're going to learn truth and we're going to see revelation, we're going to see it from the word of God. You don't want my tips on life. You want God's authority on life and eternal life and the fact that we need His life. So it's the written Word of God, but at times God has revealed things outside of the written Word. Prophets receive things, right? The apostles receive things. Not everybody gets an Apostle Paul story on the way to Damascus. My conversion was nothing like Paul's, right? I did not have Jesus literally blind me and say, why are you kicking against the goads? Or why are you persecuting me? I didn't get that. But God has done that in times past. And by the way, people that you know, doubt the Bible... Um, Well, a God that spoke the universe in existence can do whatever he wants. It's his universe. It's his... his, uh, However he chooses to reveal things. But ultimately today, with the written canon of Scripture completed, he, he primarily speaks to us through the Word of God. But there has been other times that he's done things that we look back and say, wow, how would I have responded if I saw that? But the only two responses you get to the revelation and truth of God is, there's only two, rejection or acceptance. That's it. Now, rejection can be a, uh, well, I'm not going to really reject, I'm just going to ignore this, which is what a lot of people do. I'm going to put it off when I'm old, then I'll kind of take a really healthy look at this. How do you know you'll get to old? So you can ignore the truth, you can delay a decision with the truth, and then you have the outright fighting against it. That's like Herod. He doesn't just ignore it. He's diabolically opposed to the truth. That was true in the case of, remember the uh, Pharisees. They, were, they weren't just kind of, alright, we'll, we'll take it or leave it with Jesus. No, they were opposed. They wanted him nailed to a cross opposition. Adolf Hitler, no, he, he didn't just eh, I don't like the truth. No, he was opposed to truth. Someone, someone's an atheist. No, I completely oppose it. But in the case of the Magi, they obviously receive the revelation of God and they not just receive it, they respond immediately and decisively and they head out on this arduous journey which is very difficult, traveling across the terrain obediently to God's revelation. Now we would all agree that the Magi uh, receive of course a very unique and miraculous sign. Wouldn't you say that following a star all the way uh, from the Near East, you know, Persian area all the way to Jerusalem is pretty amazing. It's uh, a sign that was in the heavens. It stood out to them as something completely different than anything they'd ever seen before. Now uh, I've seen a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of Christian um, kind of even guys that are scientific and, and have put together, it, it was probably when Jupiter and this and that, you know, all these different things. And, I've, and I'm not against some of those kind of things, but I believe this was totally supernatural. Just like I believe uh, when Jesus was on the cross it went dark for three hours No eclipse, not lunar or solar, is three hours. Not even close. Most eclipses are in minutes. Not um, You you don't get three-hour eclipses, so I've actually seen people say that. It was probably an eclipse, yeah. When has there ever been a three-hour eclipse? There's no such thing. Uh, ask anybody in astronomy or anything like that. So uh, just as I believe that the darkness was supernatural when He was on the cross, I believe that this light was also supernatural when He dawned on the earth. So uh, when the the wrath was poured out it went dark. When He came into the world you have this star and they followed it. And I personally believe it was totally supernatural. And I believe that's kind of why they were so amazed because they knew this was not like anything. These guys studied the stars. They were astrologers, sages, mathematicians. None of it they're like, this, no, this, is, this is God speaking to us. This is something beyond. They'd never seen before. We don't know exactly. But they not only knew it was supernatural, they not only knew that it was sent to them as a sign to them, uh, just like Mary received the sign from the angel, you'll, be, you'll receive a virgin birth. That's only happened once in the history of man of humanity. So again, the star would have been a one-time thing, Mary's uh, virgin birth, one-time thing. You have a lot of one-time things in the scriptures, and they almost all relate to Jesus. <laughs> if they're one, if they're kind of one-time, there's other things too. But we don't know exactly how this was confirmed to them. You know, if you saw a supernatural star and you were from another country, how would you know it was the God of the Jews? you would say, that's amazing, we need to figure this out. But uh, they were certain that it was a sign, but they were also certain not just that it was a sign, they were certain it was not a sign from the pantheon of gods of the Near East and the Far East. They did not think it was from Jupiter, or they did not think it was from one of the Sumerian gods, or things like that, but they were convinced that it was from the god of the Jews because they said the one who was born king of the Jews. They were convinced that this god was the God of the Jews. Isn't that interesting? They're from a far away land. They're not from Israel. They're not Jewish. They went back to their own country it tells us. Now the land of Israel I've been there twice. Some of you have been there with us and you got to float in the Dead Sea. The land of Israel was known in ancient times for three distinct things. Number one, it was known that a place that had a sea in which nothing lived still there today. It's called the Dead Sea. Nothing lives uh, actually, way down at the bottom they have actually found some little tiny But again, for all intents and purposes, a sea in which nothing lived. A day in which nobody worked. This was really bizarre to the nations around them. They were like, why is there a day when everyone stops working? And lastly, they had a temple with no image of their God. No graven image. Now you know that God told them, second commandment, do not, and God's like, I repeat, do not make any graven images. You don't know what I look like. Do not try and carve me out of wood and say this is our God. When they did that with the golden calf, God got very upset, didn't He? No. So the world knew that a sea with nothing lived a day in which nobody worked, which was given to them what under the law. That's when Moses got the Ten Commandments. Oh, by the way, one day you can't work. Everybody couldn't even receive. You couldn't even take up the manna on that day. Remember, you had to take it the day before, and it would be enough for. The Sabbath day. So, and then the last one, that temple, you do not make an image of God. I don't really even particularly love a lot of the drawings of uh, Jesus and stuff. like. Not because I'm against them, but just like, can we not like try and figure out <laughs> what he, when he, when we don't know? And uh, so just, that, I'm not all bent on that. Just don't, don't get too concerned with that statement. But anyway, <laughs> just a personal thing. But uh, the God... Um, I, I don't have any pictures hanging of Jesus in my house. None. Because... I'll find out when I get there what he looks like, and I don't want to take a shot at it. Like, <laughs> not even close, you know. So. <laughs> so, but the God of the Jews, the God of the Jews was known as the Invisible God. Everyone, everyone in the Middle East, everyone knew that if you talked about the God of the Jews, no one knew what he looked like. They might have heard the story that Moses barely got to see the train of his robe and it was nothing but blinding light and Moses shined himself for days after that. You know, Paul all he saw was blinding light so it said in the scriptures no one can see God and even live. So the temple could not have an image of God. So they were aware everyone in that part of the world was aware that Israel's God was the invisible God. But they were certain that this star was sent by Israel's God. They were positive that this star was sent by the God of the Israelites, the God of the Jews. Let's also understand uh, that the Magi uh, from the east, they were likely very familiar with who and how the Jews worshipped. How do we know that? Well, Well, number one, many Jews still lived in that part of the world. Why? Because they were taken away in captivity And many of the Jews that were taken away in the Babylonian captivity or also were still there in the Persian uh, realm as Daniel uh, was, uh, many of those Jews decided after they were allowed to leave, they didn't. They they were now third, fourth, fifth generations and and just continuing to live in that part of the world. And so there was plenty of Jews that would have been able to convey things about the beliefs, about the scriptures, about uh, what the worship of the true and living God looked like. Furthermore, you guys may remember this, or maybe you've forgotten, or maybe you didn't know at all. But Daniel, who I just mentioned, Daniel and Ezekiel, everyone's heard of those two guys, right? Daniel, and Ezekiel, two prophets. Where did they live, virtually their entire lives, in Persia or ancient Babylon? Uh, they were there, you know, they were there with the captivity. Then, then it became the Persian Empire, and Daniel, he was high up in both, uh, both uh, governments. But Ezekiel and Daniel, they were contemporaries of each other, both Jewish uh, godly men that lived in that land their whole life. We presume that they died there as well. And we know for certain they got the word of God while living there, so they actually wrote D- Daniel and Ezekiel. So when people try and tell you, you know, I'd follow Christianity, but it's a North American religion. Hmm. Are you familiar with the book of Daniel or Ezekiel? Where were they written? Well, they were probably written in Massachusetts by the Puritans. Nope, 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 No, nope. They actually brought the Bible with them. Maybe they were written in Williamsburg. no, nope, nope they, they brought the Bible too. Maybe they were written in Jerusalem. Nope, not even in Jerusalem. Go further east. Those two books were given by God to prophets living in modern-day Iran, Iraq. So that was there. Some scholars even believe that Daniel may have had Yahweh-believing disciples that descended all the way to the time of Christ. Some people believe that Daniel actually had men that descended that had converted to the faith and were basically um, Babylonians or Persian descent that had come to believe in the God of Daniel. Remember Daniel had a huge impact uh, on everyone he ever ran into, and we see that in the scriptures, so that's certainly uh, possible. At any rate, they were 100% convinced that the star related to the birth of the king of the Jews, which corresponds of course to prophetic scripture which they either knew about or other people had told them about those scriptures. Uh, Or again, it all could be revealed to them by we don't know, they saw the star, God could have sent the same angel Gabriel to them and said, oh by the way that star is from the king of the Jews, stop everything you're doing and start traveling. We don't know. We'll find out when we get there. We just know what happens when they got there. Now some might think to themselves some people might think, well if I received a miraculous sign from God, I would surely start following him. You guys agree with that? If, I, you, know, if you meet someone who, they don't want to give their lives to Christ, uh, they got the world by the tail, they're having a great time, they're, they're, they got, they're on top of life like the rich young ruler, and you present them with the gospel and say, know, yeah, I don't really need that. But if God showed me the miraculous sign that you see you know, in like some of these crazy things in your Bible, then I'd follow him. Do you know? I don't believe that. Why? Because Jesus said it's not true. Jesus said in Luke 16, 31 he was speaking of, the. this is not a parable, when he when Lazarus uh, is speaking, when the rich man is talking to Lazarus who's in Abraham's bosom, that is not a parable. Jesus is giving us a windows view of Hades before Christ goes down there and turns the whole thing into hell and takes the believers into heaven. But he says, "But uh, he said to them, and this is uh, Abraham speaking, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Isn't that hard to believe that, that Jesus is, is conveying the fact that the miraculous is not nearly enough for many people? Mm-hmm. And by the way, Jesus would be, fulfill all this, but he would be the one to rise from the dead uh, so he says if you have the Word of God, Moses and the Prophets just saying if you have the Scriptures, if you present a friend, a neighbor, a family member and say I hear that but I don't believe it but I'd believe it if I saw water turned into wine like we talked about last week, no they wouldn't. Even if they saw water into wine they wouldn't believe it. If they saw a star in the heaven. But I've mentioned many times a person can see the miraculous from God and still not listen. Much less truly believe. How about Pharaoh? He saw all the miracles. You saw them all. Did that? Did, did that say, "Wow, Moses! When? How can I become a disciple?" Right. He didn't say that. He's like, "You better get out of here, before I kill you." <laughs> Pharaoh. What happens is rejection always leads to a harder heart. Leads to he a harder heart. Pharaoh saw the miracles, uh, paid no, no heed to any of them. In fact, Herod here, Herod's going to repeat history and follow the exact same footsteps as. Pharaoh did, even down to killing innocent baby boys. History repeats. Satan, by the way, has the same tricks and people have the same response. And our excuses in 2020 are the same excuses that people had two thousand years ago. Why, well, if I had more time and I had more of this, I had more of that then I'd do this for Jesus, and God says, No, you're you're no different than any other period of time. It's a heart issue, it always is. But as the as the Magi stir up Jerusalem, it says the whole says the whole city's troubled, as they stir up Jerusalem. They ask, uh, you see here in verse, um, verse 4, and he had gathered the chief priests and the scribes and the people together inquired, when was the Christ to be born? And they said to him or where, uh, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet but in you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd his people. Isn't that a beautiful last passage? This ruler is going to shepherd we don't have many rulers in America who shepherd. They might beat the sheep, but not shepherd. They might be tyrants, or would be tyrants, but not shepherds. This ruler will be a shepherd, and Herod was no shepherd. Herod would execute people. Herod was all about him. He had a lot of money and, and, and taxed the people, and that was the Roman government. So, uh, But this ruler was going to be different. He was going to shepherd the people. But that's who they were looking for. That's who uh, the people in Jerusalem should have also been looking for. But as the magi come in, they stir up the whole city. The caravan finally ends up in front of uh, the king, in front of Herod, and they assume that Herod is well aware of this promised king. But Herod's not. He, he you know, Herod's about Herod. He's not thinking about it. He didn't even wasn't on his mind that God was going to send the real king. Herod's having his Herod parties and all the good times and uh, he, they, they assume he'd be aware of this. They assume that he'd be paying attention to this star that is now sitting over Jerusalem, by the way. That should cause people to wonder. And by the way, I, I still see, when I see the signs that God keeps showing the world, I, I'm amazed that people pay no attention to it. Like, Do you not see the world as falling apart and you're going on with life as nothing is happening? You could actually have the star of Bethlehem right over us right now and most people are like, What's on Netflix? <laughs> so, it's not, nothing really changed. But they assume Herod's, lo- Herod's looking for this. They assume he's excited about it. They couldn't be more wrong. No, Herod's like, um, what are you talking about? What king? I'm the only king here. What are you, what are you talking about? Um, you saw in verse three, he's troubled, but it says the whole city's troubled by it. Everyone's troubled by it. Not excited about it, troubled by it. By the way, a lot of people, they're not excited when you tell them about what Jesus do in your life. They're troubled by it because it convicts them. They don't want to hear about all, you know, hey, someone asked you, when people stopped asking me, I was in the business where they stopped asking me, what did you do over the weekend? Because when I would start to tell them, well, I was at church, we went to do the prison ministry and all this stuff, they're like, oh, I need to go get a coffee. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> the whole city's troubled. But they had the scriptures. They had the scholars. They should have been on top of this, right? They had everything. Because of this, nobody there was looking for the Messiah, just like bank robbers aren't looking for police. Because they have a different agenda. They were accustomed, the city, Herod, the leaders, the religious leaders, they had become accustomed to the way things were. They had the temple, they had the priesthood, they had the religious rituals, they had the comfortable living. This is America. The comfortable living at least in Jerusalem wasn't so comfortable if you lived in Galilee or other parts, but at least lived in Jerusalem, pretty comfortable, provided you were fully supporting Herod and Rome. And I remember the priesthood they had that whole deal with Pilate and long as we you scratch our back, we'll scratch your back kind of thing that's why the, the, the high priest is one of the richest men in Jerusalem, so they were they were kind of okay with it, even though they would uh, always be talking bad about Rome, but at the same time they kind of were comfortable with this symbiotic relationship. But these wise men, not well they come and they stir all this up uh, they made everyone get the scriptures out. <laughs> because of their arrival, uh, you got scribes rolling out scrolls saying alright, well it says he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem, that's just a short you can walk there in no time flat South of Jerusalem, you can walk to Bethlehem. They're getting scriptures out. It reminds me of our own apathetic nation. You know, we have in God we trust on our currency. We have Bibles, millions of Bibles, we have churches on every corner, yet very few are looking to Christ. Very few are searching and following the scriptures. Very few are submitted to God. Very few are really rejoicing to find Him. But the wise men, the Magi they were all in because it was not a professed belief, it was an authentic belief. It wasn't just a professed belief, but a genuine belief that the signs that God had given and the scriptures he had given and the king that he had sent that convinced them that they needed to submit to the same God that revealed these things to them. Are you convinced you need to submit to God? Fully submit to him. And they were convinced that they would go wherever it led. Wherever the star was going to go, they were going to go wherever it led. Now, Herod, he just plays along. We're coming to a close here. Last thing we'll look at is, but Herod plays along. Okay, okay. I'll worship him if you find him. You find him, I'll worship him. Herod likes to delegate. Uh, so you worship him, uh, or you find him, I'll worship him. And, and, and by the way, while not the same evil. Diabolical motives of Herod, uh, it's not so unlike people in the Christmas season. They're like, um, I'll sing the Christmas carols because they're fun, but they mean nothing to me. Right, right. And that's a lot of people. I've seen many an unsaved person, I've seen people that don't believe in God at all can sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Enjoy the World, like it's awesome. Like it, you know, they just, it's just, well, it's kind of, maybe Charles Dickens wrote it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, just because it's kind of fun, but for us, we know that's not that. It's our Savior we're singing about. Yeah. Last thing, verses ten and twelve. Um, we got to bring it to a close. Verse. Uh, let me go all the way forward. When they in verse nine they see uh, the star which had in the east and had came and stood over where the young child lay. Picking up verse ten, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when the, they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worship him. When they had opened their treasures they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Um, It's great, you know, Herod had really bad motives. They had godly motives. And they proceed forward. And it's good for you and I to know when, when your motives and my motives are focused on God, you will not be held back by the motives of others. They were not held back by Herod's motives. When your motives are for the Lord, God will move, he will part seas for you, protect you. Herod was a great risk to them for a lot of reasons, but God made sure that they were not deterred and other people's motives won't hold you back. And the Magi go forward, and indeed they do find the one worthy of their worship. And there they come to a stop. God has us sometimes just come to a stop. When I, when I walked forward at Calvary Fort Lauderdale in, in 1995, me and my wife, I, I had to God said it's time to stop running from me and run to me. And stop all the other things and, and, and bow down before me and, and come to me, which I did, but they did too. They stopped but their journey had now ended, but in another way it was just beginning. When you come to meet Jesus your journey has ended and is just beginning, Amen. When you get to the place where you are bowing down before the Lord, it's come to an end of the old path, but a whole new path. And you can see they're even sent on a new route after this. And it's a picture of once you've come to the Lord, he sends you in a new way. You don't go back the way you came before. You don't return to the same places in the same. But um, what they immediately do will be a lifetime pattern for their hearts uh, in their lives, the first reaction they re- they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. That's why, uh, no matter how you feel, you should rejoice during this season. You should uh, praise God, and not just this season, but all the seasons. They they rejoice, and uh, when they see this child, which is way more than just an infant, as I, Isaiah nine six uh, Matthew says, they found the young child. Isaiah speaks of this child. He says, For unto us, what? A child is born. This is the child that Isaiah was talking about, that Matthew's now writing about, that the wise men were, were standing there in awe of. For a child is born unto us, a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulders. And there's where we see that King of the Jews, the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Who's ever called a baby Mighty God? Ever. Just like when John called Jesus the Lamb of God, who calls a man a lamb and who calls a baby a mighty God? Who calls a baby everlasting father? But Isaiah said, We bet this child is all of these things. And Prince of Peace, of course, Jesus being that royal one that can pour out peace. Other leaders take peace from the world. Jesus gives peace to the world, total opposite of what they were in front of. And they saw it and they understood it and their heart, I just think the Holy Spirit showed them things that we'll never know until we get to heaven and say, tell us more about what God was revealing. Each wise man was getting their own revel but it was all consistent with the Scriptures. And their hearts are filled with joy and the, the joy of seeing Christ. It, falls in, it causes them to fall on their faces they fall down and worship him uh, before this child who they believe is the king. And they're not face down in fear like, oh, we're going to get our heads cut off if we don't do this like other rulers. He's a baby. He's not going to do any of that. Mate, Joseph and didn't say, hey, you're not allowed to enter unless you worship. Right? When we talk about getting on our knees to pray, you're allowed to come here, you worship in your heart, but they, it was an act of the heart. They didn't. No one forced them to get on their face. I'd worship your God, but he's a tyrant. No, they were in awe of a baby. And they get on their face and they worship. Uh, But if Jesus really is the king of kings, if he really is the Messiah, if he really is the king of the Jews, if he really is the savior of the world, if he really is the promised one from the very beginning, what other response would be appropriate than to worship? The Greek word for worship, prosküeno, it literally means to kiss the hand. You ever heard the term kiss the ring? The Greek word proskueno literally means to kiss the hand as a token of reverence. It means to fall down on the knees and to bow down prostrate. So you might say, well, that's the New Testament word worship. What about the Old Testament? I'm glad you asked. Uh, The Hebrew word, (laughs) the Hebrew word, shakal, it's used in the Old Testament or the Tanakh, which is the Genesis through Malachi, 172 times. Every time it means this one word, Bow. So in the New Testament, it means bow, and the Old Testament means bow. Always means bow. But they don't just bow. They present precious gifts, which are not only a sacrifice of their livelihood, but it's symbolic of their very lives. And, and unbeknownst to them, because God is always hitting all those bullseyes with one arrow, they don't know that their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh represent the king, the high priest, and the suffering, serve, uh, suffering savior, which is the Lamb of God. So they actually, their gifts... By the way, when you and I give gifts in our diversity of gifts, they all magnify Jesus. And yours will be different than mine, but it will always magnify Him. But um, even after all this they receive this guidance from the Lord, which way to go. Uh, But as we come to a close here, what's our response? What's our response to uh, now that Christ has come? And not just come in Bethlehem but we've actually seen the end of the story. We've, we, we've now seen Him go all the way to the cross and to the place that He's sitting as King. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. But what's our response to the fact that we have seen and testify to all that's taken place even though we weren't there? We know it's true. Martin Luther said this about the announcement of Christ's birth in the, uh, by the angels. Uh, he's referencing to Luke's Gospel. Um, but he references our general, general response, what it is and what it should be, and I'll read half the quote and then I'll put the other half on the screen. He said, Ah, we poor people to be so cold and sluggish in the face of great joy that has clearly been prepared for us. This great benefaction exceeds by far all the other works of creation, yet our faith in it is found to be so Weak although it is preached and sung by the angels who are the heavenly theologians who were, for, who were so glad for our sake. Isn't that true? They were, they were like, you guys don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. from the heavens. They were proclaiming glory to God in the highest. What, what do you mean? No, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. So he goes on. Uh, you see the rest. Their song is very beautiful and describes the entire Christian religion for giving glory to God in the highest. Heaven is the supreme worship. This they wish and bring to us in Christ. Uh, Let me sum all that up. Brother and sister, we were created to worship. That's the essence of all this. We were created to worship, and we were saved from our sins to have restored worship. That worship was cut off in the garden if Jesus doesn't come. There is no worship. It would be vain worship. But it should be a song in us. It should be a desire in us. It should be born out of the joy that we found the Savior. They found the Savior. And that was joy. And more importantly, that the Savior found us. Right? That's the bigger deal, is that He found us. The wisest thing we can do now is just to pour out our life in worship. Remember we talked about to kiss the ring? Remember the woman that was forgiven? She just kissed Jesus' feet poured out the oil on his feet. Why? Because it was an act of worship. She had to get face down. Uh, but let me close with this, with words of Jesus that ties into our John study anyway. One of my favorite passages that the hour is coming and now is. Did you know the hour is now here? Where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth? for the Father is seeking such to worship. He was seeking the wise men. They didn't put the star in the sky, he did. He sought them and brought them and then ultimately bought them. And that's what he does with us, right? And so he wants us to be true worshipers. Why? Because there's fake worshipers. Like, Herod's a fake worshiper. You don't want to worship. He wanted to eliminate God, but you can't eliminate God. You can either submit to God or face him in judgment. Amen? Amen? And I don't know about you, but I'm glad Jesus is not only my ruler, but my shepherd and worthy of worship. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just bow before you we do worship you. We ask, Lord, that you would receive our worship uh, as, as flawed as it is. And Lord, even as we close in worship, Lord, may we just reflect on these things and, Lord, just reconsecrate our lives as worship, Lord, to you, 24-7, Lord, that we would truly give you all that we are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.